Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. When I was younger, there was a couple things that I was afraid of. One of the things that I was afraid of was getting hit in the nose. And I don't really have a great story as to why I was afraid of getting hit in the nose, mainly because I was really successful at not getting hit in the nose. It's something I tried to avoid at all costs. So I never picked a fight because I just didn't want to get hit in the nose. That tingling feeling, it makes your eyes water. I can't even stand talking about it. I'm going to move on. The other thing that I was afraid of was the boogeyman. Did you have a boogeyman growing up? The boogeyman lived at my grandmother's house. I hope you didn't. The boogeyman lived at my grandmother's house. The boogeyman lived in the back closet of the back bedroom just across the hallway from my grandparents' room. I don't know how they slept every night living in the house with the boogeyman. But I remember one time when I was little, my grandparents would keep me during the day when my parents were at work before I started school. And one day I fell asleep for a nap. And I don't remember where I fell asleep. I only remember where I woke up. And I woke up in the boogeyman room and I screamed and I ran out of there. And it was several years that I questioned my grandmother's love for me after that. I have since then grown out of the fear of the boogeyman, mainly because they eventually sold that house. And so I don't have to go back there anymore. But I found over time that my fears have just simply changed that some of the things that I find myself fearful of when I go on a long drive and it's just me and I kind of get lost in my thoughts or you just have one of those quiet moments where your brain starts to run away from you. Some of the fears that I find creeping in are fears of something happening to me and not having provided for my family well enough or fears of failing in my career or fears of being a bad dad. You know what I'm talking about when you find yourself alone and your brain just gets to turn in or maybe it's late at night when you wake up and all you can do is think and those thoughts just creep in and you can't seem to hush them up. I read this thing that said from 2021, some of the top fears that adults had were fears of a loved one getting seriously ill or dying Fears of mass shootings, I think that really speaks to our time. Fears of not having enough for retirement. I don't know what your fears are. In fact, I'm not going to ask you to say it because it's already at the front of your mind. You know exactly what it is because we find ourselves experiencing the emotion of fear. So today we're going to finish up this series that we're calling Feel Free. We're all people who experience emotions. We were created by God to experience emotions But one of the things we've talked about is fear is a vehicle. It will drive you. It will move your life, and it can do so in unhealthy ways. And so one of the things that God wants us to do, rather than be driven by our emotions, is to learn to connect our emotions back to him as the creator of our emotions so that we can live free from those emotions that we experience so they no longer dominate our lives. Now, fear can be a good thing, right? Fear can keep you from making a lot of mistakes. In fact, I've heard people say things like, my kid has no fear, and they're not saying that in a good way, like they're not afraid of anything. They're saying that as far as like, in the very near future, we're going to the hospital because we're gonna be sized for a cast from the broken bone that my child is gonna get in some way. We just don't know yet what it is. Fear can keep you from making mistakes, but fear can also keep you 
from certain things that would be good for you. Like, for instance, if you have the fear of failure, then it could keep you from taking that chance, taking the new job, a new opportunity that God is laying in front of you. Fear of failing can keep you from taking that risk. Fear of being alone can keep you bound up in some type of toxic relationship because you don't know what life would be like without that person. Even fears of something bad happening has caused many of us to parent differently than the way that we were parented. Like, I'll go ahead and admit, kids, close your ears. Growing up, I never wore a helmet when I rode my bike. We had those trampolines that didn't have the nets around them. You know, you remember what I'm talking about? We even, I know this is going to shock you, okay? We played in the front yard. We didn't even know that there were white creeper vans that would drive up and down the road snatching kids because we didn't watch America's Most Wanted. You see how even our fears have caused us to parent differently because fear can be a vehicle that can drive us and change the way that we live. And that's not what God designed for us. His design for us is to experience a fear of him, a healthy dose of fear for him out of our respect for him, but to not be dominated by this emotion that keeps us from living in faith. Because if fear dominates your life, when God calls you to something, as a believer, fear can keep you from taking that step of faith. All of the uncertainties and all of the insecurities can creep in and keep you in the very same place you're in. Even as a church, fear can keep us from moving forward, making changes that God is calling us to make because we're afraid of what we don't know. Things like, that's how we've always done it, are just simply fear-based statements when we fully dig down and really understand. And so fear looks a, a lot different, or it has a lot of different flavors, because behind our insecurities, behind our doubts, behind our uncomfortableness is fear. It's all there, and it's playing a major role, but from a background. And it can keep us from being who God has called us to be. This morning, I'm going to look at a, at a section of Scripture from Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to join me there. We're going to meet a man named Gideon. Now, if you're familiar with that name, because maybe you've grown up in church, you're like, oh, Gideon, that's the guy that's in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Hall of Faith member. This guy is one of the great faith people of all time. And you're right, he would become that. But there was a time in his life where he was not a member of the Hall of Faith. In fact, when we first meet Gideon, he is living, or he is actually a a fearful farmer. So in Judges chapter 6, when you open up and you read the first 10 verses, what you find is that Israel is really being held captive by the Midianites. So Israel was living in rebellion to God. They had gotten caught up in idolatry again. They have turned their backs on God. And so just like God told them, he said, when you do that, I'm going to send to you somebody that's going to take you captive. And this time it was Midian's turn. Now Midian has an interesting relationship with Israel. So if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 25, a guy named Abraham, important character in the Bible, he has a wife named Keturah and she bears to him a son who is named Midian. But there comes this point in the story of Abraham where you have the promised son Isaac and you have all these other kids of Abraham, but none of them were the promised children, including Ishmael, where God tells Abraham, all right, you're going to have to send them away. It's creating too much division and so they're all sent away. Ishmael, Ishmael and his mom are sent away. Keturah and Midian and the other sons are sent away. And Midian grows up and becomes a great nation, just like God said Abraham's children would. And these Midianites keep coming back up in the story. 
In Genesis 37, there's a guy named Joseph, who is a great-grandson of Abraham, who's sold by his brothers into slavery, and you thought you had family problems, and he's sold into slavery, and the slave traders that he's sold to, can you guess where they're from? Midian. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses has to leave Egypt because he stood up for one of his fellow Hebrews, even though he's been raised in Pharaoh's house. He's a, he's a Hebrew. He's Israelite to the core. And he stands up for one of his fellow Hebrews, and he takes the life of an Egyptian trying to defend the Hebrew. And so because of that, he has to flee as a fugitive. And he runs away, and he goes to some of his distant relatives in the, in the land of Midian. And he lives and meets this woman that he marries, and her father is named Jethro. And he is a Midianite priest, which tells us that they're still serving God, even from Midian. But by the time you get to Judges chapter 6, things have gotten really complicated, because this weird dynamic relationship between Israel and Midian was now enemies, sworn enemies, because for seven years, Midian had come in right around the time of the harvest, and they come in on their camels that were too numerous to count, and they would steal all of Israel's crops, they would take all of their livestock, they would burn the fields of whatever they didn't take, they'd burn Israel's houses down, and this has happened year after year after year, and finally, Israel cries out to God and says, God, please rescue us, please save us. And that's where we meet Gideon. But before we meet Gideon, God sends to them a prophet, an unnamed prophet, who's got a message for Israel. What God wants Israel to understand is that Midian is not the problem. The problem is their rebellion. The problem is that Israel had turned their back on God, and they're receiving the consequences of their choices. And so what I want you to think about first off this morning is that fear wants you to confuse the problem. The problem for Israel was not the Midianites. It was their own rebellion. What they needed was to repent. And they were receiving the consequences of their sins. Fear wants you to confuse the problem. Fear wants you to think things like, God is punishing me. God has abandoned me. God doesn't love me anymore. God is causing this to happen to me. I'm going to assume there's some of you here today or even watching with us online that you've been there, something tragic has happened in your life, and you've asked those questions. God, did you cause this? Are you punishing me because of this? Understand that's fear talking. Fear wants you to confuse the problem because fear is a liar. And fear will say things to you that God is not saying to you. So in verse 11, we meet Gideon in a really interesting place. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I am definitely do not own a vineyard, but what I know about these two occupations is they don't match. They don't match well together. You, uh, you, create wine or grape juice and you press the grapes and you do that in a wine press, which is either a hole in the ground or a giant box because you want to collect all the juice. And if you were going to thresh out wheat, what you would do is you do it in an open space because you take the wheat, you throw it into the air, the wind would catch the chaff and blow the chaff away and the wheat, which is heavier, will fall straight to the ground. The one thing that you don't do is thresh out wheat in a cave or in a hole in the ground. And so why is Gideon in a cave. He's in a cave or he's in this hole in the ground because he's afraid. He's trying to hide it from the Midianites because that's what fear does, doesn't it? Fear drives you into hiding. 
I can remember as a child, I had done something wrong. I think I had broken something of my parents. And so I went and hid in my closet. Because, you know, they'll never pay attention. They'll never notice their item that's now missing or their kid. They'll never notice that either. I just thought if I hid long enough, they'd forget about it all and me, I guess. You know, that's just the way that our brains work as children. In it. And it's just like the way that we read about last week in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve of how shame comes and plays a part in our life. And when they ate the fruit and they hear the sound of God walking through the garden, they go and hide and then God calls out, where are you? And Adam said something that we've said ourselves, I was afraid so I hid. You've probably uttered or thought those same words. Your actions have been an application of that text as well because that's what fear does. Now maybe you didn't go hide like they did literally behind a tree, but sometimes we hide from people because we're afraid of their judgmental thoughts or it's a person that we know is gonna speak truth to us and we need to hear that truth, but we don't wanna hear it and so we refuse to call. We see them coming and we walk the other way because we don't want them to speak that honest truth into our life. Fear will drive us into hiding. Well, Gideon's story continues. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is a guy hiding in a, hiding in a hole in the ground, <laughs> threshing wheat, and God calls him a mighty warrior. I wonder if Gideon is like, who, who are you talking to? You, you talking to me? You talking to me? You remember that movie? Sorry, couldn't help it. Verse 13, Gideon, he's so nice. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Such a nice guy. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Fear wants you to confuse the problem. But I also think it's important to note that Gideon is not afraid because he's weak. He's afraid because he's broken. Do you hear it in his statement? He's not bringing judgment on God. He's, he's heartbroken. He feels helpless and powerless with the current situation that he's in. He's going, what, what are we going to do? We can't change this situation. We can't overpower these people. If God is really with us, and why is all this stuff happening to us? He's heartbroken over the situation that he's in. He wants his people to be better and to do better, but he doesn't know how to, how to fix it. He doesn't know how to change you ever been there maybe you're at school and you see this kid that's being bullied and you want to step in and do something but you're not sure if you have the ability or the power to do it or it's a loved one and you watch them make decision after decision that's just wrecking their lives and you know where their life is headed and you want to say something but you don't know if it's going to be helpful you don't know how they're going to receive it and you kind of feel powerless or maybe you're just sitting back and you're just watching the moral decline of our country and you're going what are we going to do we can't continue you as a legitimate society and you feel in your heart that while voting is important and I believe that we should all do that as our God-given and nation-given right but you wonder is that really going to make all the difference in the world which it's not but it's a good start right but you're heartbroken over what's going on and you're like what are we going to do what am I going to do you have no idea what to do that's Gideon's story he's heartbroken for his people and God said to him, go in the strength that you have. <laughs> I love God. I love God. I mean, here's Gideon hiding in a hole in the ground. He feels weak and powerless. And, God, and the angel just like, go in the strength that you have. He feels hopeless and strengthless. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here's Gideon's courtesy again. Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in the family. 
It's probably my favorite part of Gideon's story. Because right here in this moment, God sees something in Gideon that he can't see in himself. And I believe he does the same for us. Remember all the way back in the story of Abraham, God comes to Abraham before he's known as Abraham, when he's known as Abram, and he's married to a woman named Sarai, and they can't have children. And God says, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth through your family. He's like, (laughs) one child would be nice, much less nations and nations and descendants as numerous as the stars. I'd like just one kid, but God saw something in Abram and Sarai that they couldn't even see in themselves. You meet Moses, Moses is living as a fugitive and God goes to Moses and says, I want you to deliver my people from Egypt. And Moses had to have been thinking, I can't go back to Egypt, I'm a fugitive. They're gonna arrest me and kill me. I really can't deliver somebody from prison if he's in prison. I think about the story of David. And here's David who is considered the runt in the family when Samuel shows up and he's gonna, he has Jesse to bring all his sons together. Jesse, his own dad, doesn't even think enough about this boy that he invites him to join the family meeting. And Jesse's like, or Samuel's like, you got any other kids? And he's like, well, yeah, the, the little boy out in the field, we'll call him in and God anoints him to be the next king over Israel. Think about Esther, this teenage girl. She's taken from her family, taken to the king's household. And God uses that awful situation and that young woman to save her entire nation from genocide. I think about Peter, who in Matthew chapter 16 says, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bold confession he makes to Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And he tells Peter, you're going to be one of the great leaders in the church. And then a few verses later, he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And then just a couple chapters later, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus, knowing all that's going to happen, still sees something in Peter that he can't even see in himself. Now listen to me. I'm not saying you're Peter or you're Abraham or you're Esther. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that God sees in each of us potential that we cannot see in ourselves. I love Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to live and walk in them. God has things in store for you, things that he will do through you that you can't even imagine. I can tell you a personal story, another one. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Honduras. I actually got to go on two different occasions. And my favorite thing to do when we were in Honduras was to build a house. I mean, there are a few things you can do that radically changes somebody's life, like build a house. And the cool thing was you could build a house in a day. It was awesome. And so I love to go with the house building crews. And I'm not a person that grew up as a handyman with that kind of skill set. And so it was fun for me to swing a hammer and to learn about how to do this. And so the first year I tried to go as many days as I could. And I just really had a good time doing that. The second year I got to go back and it was a kind of a long trip. It was about a 10 day trip. And as the week went on, I went as many days as I could to help build a house. And toward the end of the week, Uh, the team leader came to me and he said, hey, tomorrow when we go out, I want you to lead one of the house building crews. And I was like, you kidding me? Okay. And so that night I called Haley and I was like, you'll never guess what I'm going to get to do tomorrow. She's like, what? I was like, they asked me to lead one of the house building crews. She was like, you sure they know what they're doing? (laughs) Now I don't say that as a knock because I was like, I have no idea, but we'll see. And it worked. We built a house. I assume it's still standing to this day. I don't know. Hopefully, praise the Lord. 
But if you had told me five years earlier, hey, Eric, in a couple of years, you're going to lead a crew to build a house, I would have cried from laughing so hard. And I would have also been offended because I would have felt like you were kind of jabbing at me a little bit for not having that kind of skill set. Now, I can't build you a house today. I can build you a torch house, but that's going to be about it. But I think it's just, it shows that there are things in our lives that we could never imagine that God will allow us to do if we will trust in him. So I wanna ask you this question, what is God calling you to do that you will only be able to do if he works in and through you? Because when God shows up for Gideon, Gideon can't imagine, he can't even wrap his mind around the concept of God using him to deliver Israel. In fact, when he tells him, I want you to go say, and Gideon keeps coming back with these excuses, God just finally says, I'm going to be with you. And this is probably the most encouraging portion for me out of this text, because it means that success is not determined by my power, but by God's power. Whatever it is that God is laying over us, which I firmly believe God does that. I believe that he works in us and through us. I believe that whether you want to say he lays something over your heart or he gives you opportunities, he lays things right in front of you, however you want to word it, which I believe it's all true, that God will give us and gift us opportunities and he will give us visions and dreams and goals and desires of things that are from him and that are good and holy. And we, we hear that or we receive that and we go, oh man, I don't know if there's any way I could ever do that. And you're exactly right. There is no way you could ever do that. Because if you could do it all, then why would you need God? I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's this beautiful text of Paul. He's got this thorn in the flesh. He's pleading with God, please take it away. It was something so uh, frustrating to him that three different times he hits his knees and he pleads with God. And the message comes back, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. <laughs> I love Paul. He's like, I just, I just boast in my weaknesses. I just walk around telling everybody about all my weaknesses, all the things that I'm terrible at. Boy, that's very different from today, right? I just tell everybody about all the things I'm awful at because in those areas, that's where God shows up. That's where God's strength is truly found. Let me ask you this. What in your life have you ever said never to? You've got some nevers. You say, I will never, right? Usually before you had kids, you're like, I would never allow my kids. And then, yeah, get ready to eat those words because you'll eat every single one of them. But it's also things that maybe it was a, an idea or a way that somebody else leads that you're like, I could never. Let me just tell you, be careful of saying never because God loves to work in the never. It's usually the never that he's going to go after because in the never, it's not you. It's all God. And when God shows up and gives you the opportunity, he gives you the strength, he gives you the resource, you get none of the glory and he gets it all. And somebody says, how in the world is that working? How did you do that? You can honestly say like Paul, it's not me. It's all God working through my weaknesses, God working in my nevers, because success is not determined by God's power or it is determined by God's power, not yours. So I want to leave you with this. What is God calling you to do that you'll only be able to do it if he works in and through you? Next weekend, or this coming Friday and Saturday, our leadership, elders, ministers, deacons, we're all going away to Gulf Coast Bible Camp for Friday night and Saturday for our annual vision retreat.
And I'm so excited about this because I believe that God is going to work powerfully and show up. And the question that I'm asking that I've been putting before the leadership that I'm going to put before you to pray over is, what is God going to do? What is he calling us to do as a church family that will only happen if he works in and through us? Because that's where faith is truly seen. And my guess is what it is, is we can't even imagine it yet. But my prayer is that he he lays that over us. He lays that vision because it's his vision because it's his church. And he reveals the way. <laughs> and we have that moment where we sit there and we go, I don't know how we're going to do that. And that's where faith begins. I want you to be praying for that. To be praying for such radical vision that it shakes the leadership. And we just have to do nothing other than pray. That's my vision of what our great vision would be. But I also want you to take that internally and chew on that this week. Maybe it's a ministry opportunity. Maybe it's a person that God wants you to influence and disciple. I don't know what it is for you, but if you don't know yet, I want to encourage you to pray for that. Pray for, to, for God to work in you and through you in a way that if he doesn't show up, it won't work. And that is a way that you will be blessed more than you could ever imagine. I love what Psalm 56 verse 3 says. It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. This morning, I hope you all understand, God does not want us to live in fear of keeping us from doing the things he's calling us to do. I believe God has a next step for every one of us to take in faith. For some of you, your next step is you need to go ahead and surrender your life to Christ. You've been thinking about it a while. Fear's kept you from doing that. You know you need to do it. It's time to take that step. Step out in faith and trust him. For some of you, it's sin that's been going on in your life. You've been battling it. You've been suppressing it. You're worried about what other people would think if they know. Let me tell you what we'll think. We'll go, yeah, completely understand. Let's pray because that's what we're called to be as God's people. And we want you to feel this is a safe place. This is a safe group of people to share your weaknesses. Let's all be like Paul. Let's just boast in our weaknesses so that we can shout the glory of God. If you need somebody to talk to this morning, we want to be there for you. If maybe God is just laying something over you and you know he's been working in your life, he's been challenging you, calling you in a certain area that you know you need to take that step, whatever it is, make the call, put it on your calendar, make that commitment. Let this be a time of response as we stand and sing together.